This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our good friends at Oro Recovery. They are located in sunny Southern California. They were created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, to help treat alcoholism and addiction with connection and compassion rather than control. What a dream. They have decades and decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible. They were given a rating of like number five in the world of all rehabs from Newsweek. Everyone that we know that has been to Oro has only said amazing things. And they have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. Oro seems like the place I would want to go if I was kicking drugs again. Hopefully that is never going to happen. But if I was fucked and I needed a place to go and I was willing to go to sunny Southern California, I would definitely go to Oro. Check them out at ororecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at Sober Buddy. What is Sober Buddy? It is an app that helps you get and stay sober. They have challenges that show you reasons why sobriety might be right for you. They have a free tracker and they have a community of people who use the app. And your Sober Buddy, I find to be a beautiful app. I find it to be a beautiful bunch of people. I find it to be very positive. It helps with mindful exercises that remind me why I enjoy my sobriety. It is available at the App Store and the Google Play Store. If you want to boast about your clean time, go get the Sober Buddy tracker. It's at YourSoberBuddy.com. It's also available at the App Store or the Google Play Store. 
Again, that's your sober buddy. All right, this episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at Soberlink. We need to talk about the holidays and divorce. Both are very stressful times for family, especially when alcohol is involved. And our friends at Soberlink want to help. Soberlink has teamed up with divorce and family law experts to provide information you didn't know that could provide peace of mind during the holidays. For those who still haven't heard about Soberlink, it is the solution for you if you are going through a divorce and custody case involving alcohol. Whether you are falsely accused of alcohol use or are concerned about your child's safety because of the other parent's alcohol use, Soberlink can help. Soberlink works hard to keep children safe, offering a remote alcohol monitoring system that is the gold standard because of its technology. Don't miss out on Soberlink's free guide for the upcoming holiday season. Request it today at www.soberlink/dsg. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Evolution Accounting. I don't know if you guys need an accountant, if you have a dream of starting a business, if you start a business, you need an accountant, if you need an accountant, I have to suggest Evolution Accounting and Consulting. Evolution Accounting and Consulting is a full-service accounting firm that can do anything you need to do for your business. Taxes, payroll, bookkeeping, you name it, they do it. Basically, they want you to pursue your dream of entrepreneurship while they cover the drudgery of accounting. The guy who started it, his name is Eric. He is a wonderful guy and he is one of us, meaning he's a fucking crackhead in recovery. He knows what it takes to start a business and he knows how to service yours from an accounting and consulting uh, vantage. If you need an accountant, or a consultant, you contact Evolution Accounting and Consulting at www.evolution-accounting.com. Use the code DOPEY and you will receive special discounts. Not to mention, Eric is just a wonderful guy. So that's www.evolution-accounting.com for all of your accounting and consulting needs. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and I'm home. So nice to be home. Had such a good time at the Park City Song Summit. I really cannot say enough good things. Park City, spectacular. Fucking the last night there, we saw Anders Osborne with Ivan Neville and Mike Dillon, who are all on Dopey, and Ben Anderson, who set up the whole Park City Song Summit. He's been on Dopey incredible show we saw this this incredible grateful dead gospel group called uh god damn it i can't believe i can't think of the name keller something grateful dead gospel hold on god oh uh, yeah hold on keller williams grateful gospel and it was a killer show and we saw langhorn slim killing it dmc from run dmc killing it it was, it was really an amazing time. And when I say I don't think I've ever been treated as well anywhere, I will say that. I don't think I've been treated as well as I was there anywhere. And when I left, I don't know if you guys know how much I struggle with losing my sunglasses. 
Over the summer, Nora lost my sunglasses at the Great South Bay Music Festival, and that was a traumatic experience, and I bought new sunglasses. I was sure I lost them leaving Park City. I found them on the plane, and then on my way into the city yesterday, I fucking left them on the Long Island Railroad. So I'm a roller coaster of of sadness because uh, I'm just one of those people that can't have nice things, and that's just the way it is. Or... I have to accept, I have to be more careful with shit. That's it. Basically, I sat down, I plugged my shit into the outlet on the Long Island Railroad to get to work, and then the power didn't work, and I got very frustrated, and I got up in a huff to move, and when I got off the train, I didn't have my sunglasses, and what that tells me was I left it in the first seat. Annoying. Very, very, very annoying. But it's a very exciting show because we talked to John Bucati, who was a big time part of the Park City Song Summit. He's this painter from New Orleans. He paints, he paints live while people are performing. And he he's on the show today. I'm very, very excited to have him on the show. My new friend, John Bucati. And I have some announcements to make. We rarely have announcements. First announcement is DopeyCon is coming two weeks away. If you are struggling getting the money to travel and you're dying to travel, you have seven days left to enter the DopeyCon theme song challenge. Send in a theme song a minute long and you can win $500 plus a ticket you know, maybe plus one if you want to bring somebody, whatever. Send in a song to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Make it a minute. This week, um, we're gonna we're gonna go through the entries. I think we're gonna do two Patreon shows of listening to the entries and me and my dad and the mystery benefactor. And I think Ray will uh determine the winner. Maybe maybe patrons will vote as well. So if you're not on Patreon, go join Patreon so you can hear the uh DopeyCon song entries. All right. There's more announcements. Join Patreon, follow YouTube, blah, blah, blah. Fucking there's really important announcements. Okay. Important announcement. Number one is that dopey nation, uh, hardcore member Carter Broad or broad, depending on who you ask is celebrating one year. So my applause buzz button isn't working. So I'm going to knock my phone against the table for Carter. I also want to announce that uh, there's a lady in the audience named Carly who's been around for some time. I got an, I got two notes for Carly. Uh, hey, Dave, my friend who you may know, Carly is getting four years on the 18th. She was my first friend in the program three years ago. When I was going through it, we would sit in the grocery store parking lot uh, eating ice cream and listening to your podcast. Nice. Dopey has become such a cool part of our of both of our recoveries. I know life is wild right now, but Carly is pretty sad she's missing DopeyCon. Would it be possible if you could give her a shout-out or something to celebrate her four years? We can. Congratulations, Carly. I'm going to beat the thing again. Carly set up, uh, one of I think, my first live Instagram with her friend Forrest, who uh, is a banjo player. So congratulations, Carly. I cannot believe you can't go to DopeyCon. Next year, next year in Jerusalem. I also heard from Carly's girlfriend. I'm going to read her note too. Why not? Dave, love your podcast so much. My name is Julia and Carly Joe is my girlfriend. We are both super bummed to not be able to go to DopeyCon this year. Work has been rough for both of us, 
but I wanted you to know that this Sunday she will be four years sober. I wanted to ask for your help in doing something special to celebrate her, so we are celebrating her. Uh, congratulations, Carly. I know she'd be super stoked to be featured on your story or something like that. Oh, shit, I got to put her on the story. Let me know if you are in to help me celebrate her and all the progress she has made and help her as she has given the recovery and help she has given to the recovery community. Hope things are going well for you and as always, toodles for Chris. All right. And I also got a note from John, John Horn, who has been listening to Dopey like forever. And he writes, did you see this week's intervention? It's in Kensington. Pretty good episode. Can't believe it's gotten even worse since I was li- I was using there six years ago. Like another life. Hope you're doing okay. This week's episode was great. Not a day goes by where I don't think about Chris, and so I can't imagine how difficult it is for you. Stay strong, Dave. Think it was the first time I actually cried over someone I didn't know in real life because I felt like I did. Hope all is well with you and the family. I, I celebrate six years today. Looking forward to the new episode. Well, John, this is the new episode, and congratulations. I'm going to beat my phone against the table in honor of you and Chris and the old vape knocks. And in other news, um, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but there is a, a guy who runs a company called Strain Canes, and he sent me a fucking beautiful walking stick. I think I'm going to have to be uh, Gandalf for Halloween again because of this big staff that he gave me. He sent me a nice letter. I'm not sure if he wants me to read it on the show or not, so I'm not. His name is Scott. Thank you, Scott. The strain cane is really, really cool. The coolest walking stick I've ever gotten, so thank you for sending it. I am unbelievably excited for DopeyCon. I don't know if Scott of Strain Canes is going to come. Listen, there's still some tickets. It will be. I was thinking about it today. It will be sober fun incarnate. If you are a drug addict, if you like Dopey, you will love DopeyCon. People who are definitely coming are Chloe LeBranch, me, Andy Roy, Brandon Novak, Maya Solowitz, my dad, Ray Brown, Fentanyl J, Smiling Joe, fucking Justin Cambria, fucking Br'er Brian, Johnny Takeoff, a.k.a. Tony Mansions. Aaron Carr. This thing, I'm very, very excited. And Katz's is definitely catering it. So if you can come to DopeyCon, there are still a few tickets available. The buying ticket link is available at the Dopey website. I cannot tell you how excited we all are for DopeyCon. There will be a game show. There will be fun and surprises and prizes. So buy a ticket to DopeyCon. And also, the Dopey DopeyCon is actually the first fundraiser for the Dopey Foundation. So every ticket will help addicts. It's all going back into the Dopey Foundation. I am not making any money on this thing. But the coolest part is that so many dopes of the Dopey Nation will be at DopeyCon. So my question to you is, will you? And before we get to John Bucati, I want to just tell a very, very quick, stupid, annoying story. I had to take... Winnie to get groomed today and I forgot about it and Linda came and I made myself lunch I made myself uh, an impossible burger and some sweet potato and uh, some grilled onions I was eating it with cheddar cheese delicious and Linda pops in and she says Dave you forgot to bring the dog to the groomer so I said okay I'm going I'm going and I leave one bite of the impossible impossible burger behind And I don't know about you guys. I like Impossible Burgers. 
I leave one bite behind. I get in the car. I go bring the dog to the groomer, and I'm excited to have my last bite. And when I get back, it was gone, and Linda ate the last bite of my Impossible Burger. As Ishmael would say, unbelievable. Anyway, I'm very excited to have John Bucati on the show. But before we get to him, now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with a challenge in life. I get stuck in my head trying to figure out solutions, and I get stuck on the problem, which is why I love online therapy, because online therapy can help me find solutions very easily. A therapist helps me become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish my goals, no matter how big or how small. I, I, I struggle with organization. It's something I talk to my online therapist about all the time. I struggle managing my time, and I talk to my online therapist all the time about that. If you're considering online therapy, BetterHelp is an incredible option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. You get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists anytime you want. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. Get therapy, get better help, get there right now and save 10%. And here's John Bucati, my new friend from New Orleans. I'm in a hotel room with this amazing guy. His name is John Bucati, not Bucati. From Kansas City, Missouri, and I met John. It was almost like we were in rehab. We were in this weird, fancy hotel. We were like doing ninety. <laughs> what were we doing? Ninety seconds of trauma. Yes. Break it down, John. Oh, well, I didn't even know what we were doing. I thought we were eating breakfast. We and were all eating of a breakfast sudden, for a we second. We were in small groups talking about our childhood trauma. Yes. Period. And I was like, "This is a great uh, a song summit." Or whatever, what you know, wherever we were. We are at the Park City Song Summit in Utah. John is this incredible painter. His specialty is live painting, and his shit is incredible. He'll be at DopeyCon twenty twenty three. Oh yeah, fucking shit up. <laughs> and like you know, like when you meet somebody, like at camp or rehab or like someplace where it's temporary, and you meet someone, you're like, holy shit. That's me. Me and John had this. We hit it off right off the bat. We hit it off. Yeah. And then yesterday, uh, we were in search of a meeting, and we fucking pioneered and homesteaded that shit. We made one up. We did it. Yeah. How did you feel about it? I was great. You know, we missed it. We sat in a place of like, wah, and then all of a sudden, there's four of us. Are like, why don't we just go have a meeting? And uh, that was as simple as it was. The next thing you know, we turned it into a, a real. Um, you know, uh, loving and kindness, talking about all that stuff. And then you could see it, uh, the ripple effect of it, because the, the words we shared were shared throughout the summit in, in each group. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And also, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect from this thing at all. But I've kind of never been to a place like this and been so welcomed. Yeah. And, and been like, part of it like it's like a real pseudo i have it's an i have arrived moment until i'm like 
I suck and nobody likes me moments that pop yeah. up throughout the day. I had one again this morning. This morning? Yeah, number 94 in the last 24 hours. No, not really, but kind of. So it's funny you say it. it's like the first year festivals of like music are so great because nobody knows what they're doing, but everybody has this willingness to be great. This is a lot different because it's, 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 um, well, it's, it's so nice. Everybody's like the hotel's nice. The, the, the gear high, it's swanky. high end and it's swanky. And then all of a sudden you're meeting with all these high end people that are running on incredible organizations where you're just like, that's unbelievable. You did that. And then five minutes later you walk on and meet another person like that. But we've had a common bond cause we've been hanging out like, three days in a row well you're like an oasis in this place for me um so how did you get into this place first so i know ben for years and this is one of his dreams for the last uh four years he's been really trying to pull recovery and music and collaboration and 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 so he he took a chance on me and i'm facilitating artwork at the song summit with musicians and you know like dmc did a drum head and we've got these drum heads and we're doing artwork and then we're selling them for charity which is obviously going to go full circle back in into recovery so it's my way of being of service um i've only painted once i'll probably paint tonight um but i'm i'm able to be a conduit to give healing through visual artwork for the musicians who are artists. We're all artists, even Ben, even you, you know. What do you mean even me? I'm, even. I'm, I'm totally an artist. Exactly. Even me. I just regret that even so bad. So I, I hate that every, and every, this is the first time in my life, the, the one down, downside of this is the first time in my life that everywhere I go, people are like, yo, Dopey Dave. Like that's something I avoided like it wouldn't if Chris hadn't died, I would never have been Dopey Dave. Right. It wouldn't have happened to me. But right. I guess I should embrace it. Right. Well, I mean, it's a character from. I mean, you. I mean, it's you're not Dopey Dave, are you? Are you Dave? I'm. My name is Dave, and the podcast is called Dopey. So, so now I've it's become, coming together. It's happened. Gotcha. So so. When's the last time you got high? Oh Jesus! Um, last time I got high was. Uh, I don't even remember the actual high. I remember when I quit drinking, but I did a big hit of ecstasy in um, Aspen about, oh God, almost 13 years, 14 years ago. And I literally had a God conscious kind of moment where it was, I had already quit drinking, but I was fiddling around with weed a lot and, and, and psychedelics. And I had this moment, I was staring at the scars and it was stars and it was like, stop smoking weed. Really? And I was like, it was either my dad or something in my head, but literally I, I wouldn't call it a bad trip. I, I went back to Crested Butte and I got in the meetings and that was when my real life began in a way. Were you in this scene then? Oh God, I was in the jam band scene. I had a ponytail. I was skinny. I was, um, I, I, you know, I put Visine in my eyes, but walked into my family thinking they didn't know I was high, but I smelled like weed. My eyes were glassy, but they didn't have red in them. Were I was wearing a tie dye shirt, had a ponytail, and I thought nobody knew I was high. Everybody in the fucking world knew I was high. Yeah, nobody. And I was it? high all the time for like ten years. Was were you on tour? I mean, I would go follow music at festivals and paint, and you know, I mean, dance. I basically dance around and paint at music shows, but that was a way I was actually in my addiction. 
getting through my trauma, you know, because what's better than dance and, you know, creating to get out of the, you know, the major head injuries and, um, and then the, I just kept re-traumatizing myself with drugs and alcohol, you know? Well, what I think is incredible is like, like I never got to like, when I was a kid, I went to some shows and I, and I soon locked myself in a room and did heroin and like, didn't go anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't get that adventure. I, I was, and I never got a ponytail. My hair just gets too wide. So yeah. like <laughs> I, when I realized my hair was getting too wide, I, I gave up and, and I became a heroin addict and I didn't go anywhere, but I, I envied the the hippies. Like mm-hmm. I wanted it so bad to be, and I know deep down I'm totally a hippie. Totally. But, but I wanted to be that so badly. And I think the coolest thing about this is that you got to do that. Like I'm sure half the people in this place probably saw you at some parking lot painting some shit and now you're getting flown in to do it. Yeah, I think that is wonderful. It's like if I'm out there throwing shit around and acting silly and not being responsible, then this isn't a safe space. And that's what I've created here is a safe space for musicians to create. And and I was over the top when I was back then. I had no respect for authority. I didn't, you know, I got paint in a lot of places, as my sister would tell you. And, you know, I was kind of a walking pig pen. But now I have this ability to be organized enough to set it up for other people to do it. And that's kind of the next phase for me, I believe, is service. And how do I do that? I've been saying this for, for a few years now, is is serve art. We're all here to be of service. You're serving me right now. Um, how, am I, how can I be of service? And um, for the most part, I feel like as a teacher, it's showing uh, other people how to how to create. And then I'm also being a service to some who are seeing me in the process because you can teach art all you want by talking about it on a podcast or talking about it on a phone call with somebody. But the best way to teach art is literally show people your brushstrokes like Bob Ross did. I mean, he was just sitting there painting and you're watching him do it and you can copy and paste that because everything we're doing is just a, it's just one big copy and paste. Just one big happy little tree. One I bit, mean, yes. your your fucking balcony looks like a Bob Ross painting to me. It does. It's pretty incredible. It did you is. did you ever paint with Bob watching TV and painting? No, but I sat there and healed and soothed and watched Bob for hundreds of hours probably. I mean, there was only four stations when we grew up and then until MTV came in and that was a whole nother story what it did to my brains, you know, little Debbie and uh what yeah. Debbie Gibson? No, little Debbie. Like little I just Debbie. sit and sit and numb out with fucking nutty bars and watch MTV. And I told you about Blondie, and I, you know, and I must have watched the Iran video like by uh, Flock, Flock of Seagulls, Seagulls like seventy five times a day. And I, so my life is literally in five minute. I see life in five minute songs that are visual that tell a story. Man, I really <laughs> appreciate that because, like, how old are you? Uh, 48 yeah me too right on and and we came up obviously exactly the same time yeah and like where i grew up i grew up in manhattan you couldn't get reception on tv without cable right. so like everybody wound up getting cable early because you couldn't watch tv yeah otherwise yeah and mtv was like you know forget like it's cool because when you're 11 when you're 10 it's just there 
It's not like you know what I mean. It's well, like well, just just imagine like what. Oh, we watched like uh, you know different strokes of those, and you have one set and one family. It's the same thing over and over. And then imagine a five-minute video which has like forty-eight different things going on at once. It's a fucking ADD like stimulator, and then all of a sudden. You know, not to mention that at the break, it's like, dun, 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 and then it's over and over and over. And it's like, I mean, I believe that that actually set my whole life up for what my art career was, was like a four or five year period of, you know, three to five hours of MTV a day. <laughs> don't you think like uh, they could do it again? Like, I don't know. Like, why Like why can't... Like, you turn on MTV now, and it's just like... I don't even know what it is. It's, just, it's like, if they just ran videos from then now, I could see myself wasting a lot of time with it being on in the background. Right. I'm telling you, whatever it was doing, it was it was, uh, it was was deep. That's I mean, what it, makes... It was dense. Like, people were putting a lot of work in one video because they had one opportunity to do it with one budget. And it was like, some. I mean... Some of the creative artistic stuff and some of the Peter Gabriel videos and then just some of the simplicity. And the music. Yeah. But and that's also why good. that's also why when you meet DMC, yeah. you're meeting like your childhood. Yeah, that just gave me chills. You know what like, I'm saying? And then he comes in and he's more badass than he was ever before. He's talking about love and talking about, you know, the power of art and he's literally flexing while he's talking to you. I mean, and that's why I love coming to these things is because every time I go to a festival or a new thing, I go, I'm going to meet somebody awesome. And, you know, and, and I said this to you last night, you always meet a few people that change your change your you know path forever I, I feel like i told you i said i go to like a a festival with like string cheese or something i do ecstasy with a guy and i feel like i know him forever and i've known him i said that's not me anymore 13 years later i meet you and i feel like we're tripping together it's in a like, weird it's, way but because it's because what is it it's just connection man it's just it's finding a true connection and Back then, it, that what, drugs and alcohol were how I connected. I walked into a bar. An hour later, I'd be talking to the bartender and spilling my guts to him because I felt connected because of, you know, the shots we were doing. And now I feel connected on a level of something higher. No, it's amazing. Let's get to the to the origin story, the radioactive spider bite for you. Sure. What do you need? Like, when was the first time you 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 needed mind or mood altering substance? Like when's the first uh, little time? fucking Debbie, and was the first and drug was dealer. Was Nutty Bar your thing? I mean, anything sugar. My early. shit was I go, oatmeal I talk cream. About oatmeal cream was my fucking that, shit. Squeeze that thing, pop it, and shove it in my mouth. Same thing. Little Debbie was probably the first thing I needed that numbed my brain. Immediately. She was the I was a fucking nightmare, hyperactive, traumatized. I cracked my skull open at six. I, I was born 11 pounds, 8 ounces to this traumatic birth, my mom said, that was horrendously, like, crazy. And then six months later, because of that, I climbed right out of my, my fucking uh, high chair and fell on the, on the countertop corner and crushed my skull, cracked my I skull. I did the so same I'm thing fucking, at eight weeks. I'm wired for stress it immediately. So, I mean, I eat a... I, to get one piece of my, my... Some kind of peace of mind, I either have to be four feet in front of the TV or sitting there eating a little Debbie or on a good day, both. Right. And you know, and then my brother and sister come home and be like, 
John, who ate all the little Debbies? I'm like, I don't know. Did you have how many did you have? There'd be like eight rappers on the floor. I mean, right there, if you see a kid that's six years old and there's seven, eight rappers on the, the floor, blue, the blue he's already an addict. Right. I mean, come on. I was this is my life. I never wanted to be on a podcast talking about addiction. Like I would have never dreamt this, wanted this, but this is what the path was for me. And that means for me. So hard part was accepting it, but yeah, all the way down. I mean, for uh, I got sexually abused at eleven. What happened there? I won't go into the scene because there's no need to relive it. But I buried it deep into my body, and I like what Gabor Mate says. He says, you know, it's not about what happened to you; it's about the trauma that happened in your body because of that result, which separates it. So then. What happened to my body as a result of that sexual abuse was something that de lived deep in my tissues. And bro, it didn't come up till I did the 12 steps. I'll even go down another wormhole. I did the 12 steps with my sponsor and I apologized for that act. Explain that. So I'm 11 years old and I'm telling, I'm 33 years old and I'm telling him that I'm sorry that I'm trying to make my amends to God for giving a guy a head who was older, way older than who me. Who are you apologizing to, though? Exactly. I had the guilt and shame that it was my fault. At my 33. sponsor tells me, You're, he, you were 11, bro. You were 11. I go look at an 11-year-old, and I start weeping. I'm like... Yeah, my daughter's 12. I'm like, I was 11. I was a victim. <laughs> this is not my fault. No. So then the work began. Then I buried it again for three years, and then I went to on-site, this incredible place for a week of trauma therapy. At that point, I worked with high-end professionals in a, a group setting, and I worked that specific thing out. I went th for that specific thing. Right. And I feel like that was a huge turning point. To go back out of the wormhole at 11, I told you this last night. So now I'm 11, and that happened. I don't know if it's wrong or right, but I'm pretty sure it's not right. You know, the feeling I have in my body. I proceed to get shingles right after that. I lost my... And that's my, not common for an 11-year-old. Fuck no. I mean, I think it was a year later or whatever. I was in, a, I was in close to 40 fist fights for the next three years. Before that, were you no, fighting? Right, I was wild, but I wasn't angry. And I wasn't probably full of shame. Now, the good thing is I became a really good high school football player. I mean, I'm 6'4", 250, so my dad played for the Broncos. That no became way. my fucking archetype was the meathead, and you didn't fuck with me. And I had a wall on me. I mean, I think I was a nice guy, but you also, I had a reputation. It's like, don't fuck with me. Did you walk around with the shame then? I walked around with the shame deep inside my body. Was it wasn't I, top of mind? I though. didn't know. Hell no. I didn't even know I did it. I mean, I can't remember what I recall about that then, but I, I did have some reflection a couple of years ago where I went, holy shit, look at the chain of events that happened after that. And I got in a major car wreck. I was literally disconnected, disassociated with my body the whole time. And the only thing that got me anywhere present was when I was hitting someone or in a fight where I kind of had these moments of like, okay, I'm awake. I was asleep in class and, and I had head injury after that. I used my head as a football player. I got concussions. I got in a huge car wreck. I got 180 stitches, almost died. How I mean, did, it was how one did, thing after another after that. How did you recall it? 
How did it come to you? When Which did part? The, 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 the sexual abuse. If you had, At 33. It, it disappeared for 14 years. Never mentioned it to anybody. Never told anybody. How did it pop up? It was doing... doing. Oh, your- when it popped up, um, I watched that Michael Jackson thing, I think, about that. Um, and then, I, do you remember that? It was yeah. a documentary, and then those kids with that got kid, abused. Yeah, the, yeah, and yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that was one of it. I don't know if the line's up with my, my timeline, because somebody's out there fucking adding out hold. I, I just know that had a big influence um, on me. But uh, getting sober, I you start connecting to your body, and the issues are in the tissues, man. And then that shit starts coming up. And then you got to deal with it. Then when you start dealing with it, it feels good. I've been packing, unpacking shit since I got sober. That's been the hard part. And, and then not wanting to do it with anybody else. But I'm a fucking junkie when it comes to therapy and um, people and self-help. And feeling and good. Fuck, man. My I mean, you, he just, is, John just invited me to his room to do 15 minutes of kundalini breath work before we did the podcast. Because, yeah. because you need it. You, Dude, it's like you yeah. need to feel good. And if it's if it's bacon or sweets, yeah. and, and I'm the same way, mm. or work. Right. Whatever it is, I just need a little more. Me too. And so even and so I'm trying to find like more balance. When you know, more bef- sleep, more things that fit into the self soothing thing to regulate my body. Let's get into the addiction for a minute. Go for it. When did you start what was your first first mind mood altering substance? Was it no, alcohol? Alcohol. I remember, you know, drinking schnapps in sixth grade. Um, 12 pack. I remember my first beer, Heineken. I remember what it tastes like. I remember the feeling. I remember looking at Spuds McKenzie and that dog with the Hawaiian shirt on and wanting to be at that party. Right. Because if I was at that party, I was not in my world. And You'd my be world okay. was scary. I used to pick my scabs too much and cut my toenails too short and all that didn't relate to me as a cutter. You know, I didn't think of myself as a cutter, but there was a lot of self-harm in that. You know I what picked I mean? My sca- I never even mentioned this before. I picked every scab I had until it would bleed and then I would do it again. And that's that, like, there's something with that of not letting the natural process of healing happen. And I still have that. I probably... You know, I wanted to take care of that. Say, I want. I want let's get this shit done. And that's not the way healing works. The way healing works is doing self-soothing things to get your mind and body into regulation. And then all of a sudden, that stuff takes care of itself. I know it's you disgusting know? to even say this, but like when you then maybe get, you have a chance not to. No, I'm gonna say it. because <laughs> like when I remember, like if I cut myself or if I had, and I don't mean like cutting, cutting. I mean like if I scrape right. myself or right. something, and I had. Uh, a thing on my arm that didn't feel smooth like my arm i picked it off because i because i thought i was solving the problem right. as opposed to like what you just said healing takes time fucking getting to where you're supposed to be you can't just do it by fucking pulling something right. off or deciding it's going to happen you can decide something's going to happen but uh it's like do you ever see that movie magnolia yeah. Just because you're done with the past doesn't mean the past is done with right. you. Right. And I love that. Yeah. And I love Brene Brown said, own your past or your past will own you. Right. As much as I was running from my past, it was catching right up because I kept re-traumatizing myself because I was living in a state of, you know, traumatic, like, being. So when does, a, like, when do you know that, like, you're not like you're 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 using more than the average. I mean, in person. high school, I drank a twelve pack every Saturday, Friday night. That's what we did. That we, was football players. Yeah, though. but yeah, and I didn't smoke a lot of weed because I didn't. 
I just didn't. And then in college, I got into drugs, alcohol, and everything. And was football done? No, football was still happening. And even junior college, I was a good football player, but I was serious about football. Like, I didn't drink during the season, and, and uh, even though I got arrested one season for drinking, I drank one time that season, got arrested and suspended. That's a whole other story, but I won't say it. But Is it a good story? Not really, okay. no. When did you start painting? Um, I've been a painter all my life, artist all my life. It's been the only thing that self-soothes me. And, you know, I'm pretty bored generally with life and people. Um, I like extraordinary people. Um, that's why I'll like talk to a homeless guy or I'll talk. I, I like to that's search why you like, out. That's why you like me. I absolutely like you. You're I, from the get go. Um, when you told me your story, but, um, so like most teachers were boring to me. So I would sit there and doodle in class. So now you got like four hours of drawing class a day on your own. And I used to draw these really tight, tedious, black and white geometric, like faces and I've always drawn faces. So that was my self soothing thing. So God bless my mom. She just kept buying me art supplies and pushing the good. And here I am 18 years old. I got a football scholarship and an art scholarship to college, bro. If I told you how shitty I was in science, geometry, math, and everything else because of my ADD, those were the two talk about work on your strengths. There was hardly, I was so lucky to just have those two things. Was there anything weird about being this crazy painting, raging football player? Was that a weird thing? Yeah, most people I saw it in the reaction. You're a football player and an artist. But isn't that kind of like? Uh, well, I like that. Like the what is it? The like the hooker with the heart of gold kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're yeah. like the savage with this incredible uh, ability and beauty and peace. Well, bro, I thought I walked in. I walk into art class and all these people from. The middle of Kansas are now finding themselves with green hair and, you know, long black trench coats and painted black fingernails and all that. They found their tribe. You know, they came from western Kansas or Iowa and they're like, here, here's my tribe. I walk in like the jock with football sweats on and a chewing tobacco in and a flat top. And I'm like, is this the art room? <laughs> and I'm like, I feel like a turd in a punch bowl. So I always felt like a turd in a punch bowl with artists till I found musicians. Something happened with musicians later on that I connected with much more than artists. But now I feel like I really find that, um, I know uh, that I, I, I very much vibe up with most artists. Because so, so you're, but I want to get to this, this point. You're, you're, you you do not want to jump around with me. Like I have, been? I, no, I, lo I'm just no I, I love jumping around, but I want to hear, <laughs> I want to hear the, the transition from this flat top jock with sweats to this hippie. Okay. I'll give you that in a nutshell. I'm a, I'm wearing a flat top, wearing a suit, Wearing $100 ties in Chicago. I left Kansas University where I played football. Moved to Chicago to be a businessman. Business. I get up there. What kind I'm of business? Selling long distance, baby. Okay, like for the phone company. Yeah, for businesses. So I'm selling T1s and nine cents a minute to trucking companies, getting kicked out on the south side of Chicago, um, going door to door salesman, and drinking eight days a week. And I was basically drinking or working to make $100,000 to live in this extraordinary lifestyle with all my buddies that were a little older than me. I was like 25 or 25. Like sales world thing? Oh, yeah. I had a, like my, it was incredible. Um, I was at the Sears Tower. I thought I made it. And then I go to, I, I long story short, I failed the state insurance test to take another job that was going to be incredibly awesome to brag about. Um, and I get fired. I got fired for failing the state insurance test. I got suicidal. I was my I was ego 
bruised. Called my dad. My dad's the coolest guy. He's dead now. Um, bless his soul. He was like, bro, don't worry about any of that stuff. This is, you know, don't worry about any of that. Your your life is what's important. I think he gave me that, like, that that speech that changed me. A month later, I go to not because of him. What was the speech though? Maybe you can you can bless the dopey nation with a little of this. The speech was all about heart and love, and none of that shit matters. And money's not everything. And you and know, you're this type A fucking yeah. suit. <clears throat> I wanted to be like everybody else. I was still doodling, you know, but I was not. I did not respect the gift that I was given early, which was art. And it had creativity. to be given to me because I I realized long later on it was the way I looked at things the way I looked at the grain and marble the way I looked at MTV the way I looked at the details and noticed patterns and the way I felt things and heard certain things in songs that made me an artist and so I go out to Red Rocks the most spiritual place in the planet I've never it's, been there you will be I'll take you there Go see Widespread Panic for three days. I had already seen Jerry in De Dead. I had already done Acid and done all that. But I didn't, didn't, I did it for like a weekend warrior thing. I went to be a deadhead for a weekend and then came When's back. When was the first time you went to see Jerry? Uh, 95. Where did you see him? Uh, Chicago. So just before he died? Right before he died. Okay. And then um, <clears throat> I missed him. I was going to go, but I was playing football. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to see him right before he died. That's Chicago. This was like a year before St. Patrick's Day. I went with some buddies. But so then fast forward, we're, we're back at, in like 99-ish. I'm in Chicago, Y2K-ish. <clears throat> I go see Widespread Panic for three days. I fucking did more ecstasy. I loved, I, I just came out of my shell. I said, I'm a fucking artist, man. And I became, I never felt the love like I felt in like the 16 people that were in our group listening to the music. I knew the music. <clears throat> the whole crowd would be singing it. And I felt what I really strive for is connection. So I found that connection through music. And I went back and painted this beautiful painting. I went back and painted another one. A month later, I am a hippie at another widespread show selling $10 prints and trading pipes and t-shirts and posters. I'm selling my artwork. I quit my job. I left Chicago. I moved in with my parents, lived in the basement. And I said, I'm going to be an artist the rest of my life. And then that's when the dreaming started. Like I'm going to dream to be a beautiful artist one day. I'm going to travel the world and everybody would just laugh at me. Hold up, I, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold okay, up. Okay, we're going back? No, 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 no. This is incredible, I think. So you, you had been a long-distance salesman. You had been a suit-and-tie guy. What was the experience in going to widespread? Was it like, I'm just going to... My buddy Sal said, come out for the weekend. All We're all happening. This is a great weekend. That weekend, actually, and that's, a, <clears throat> that's probably 22 years ago or 23, they are the longest-running band to play the most shows at Red Rocks. Widespread Panic Red Rocks is a famous thing. It's a hard ticket to get. It's a really fun weekend. But in the back of your mind, were you like attracted to it were you like no. uh, was there any <clears throat> vagabondry lurking in the back of your head like no i just wanted to go be with some old friends that fomo thing oh i want to go i want to go and the lightning bolt hits your brain with the, the with the ecstasy 
with the ecstasy and you know the nature was more powerful but the ecstasy was the lubricant to see oh my god this this place with these rocks and this music and this connection like oh i feel that way when they sing that lyric and you know i'm i'm part of this community where i'm one and i that's what i got are you instantly a stoner after that i mean i was already smoking weed but i became a hippie at that point my uncle jack who was murdered um by a homeless guy who was like the ultimate hippie. He was like, he was a Hayden Ashbury. He was a Peace Corps member. Uncle Jack, he, not the um, guy that killed him. No, not that guy. Uncle Jack was the ultimate hippie. So he kind of raised me on the side. He took me to events. He took me to motorcycle places. He took me to air shows. He snuck me into the Royals game. He took all of us around to experience life. And that's what I got from him. And, and, and he was ultimately suffered from a little mental illness. Um, so I knew what not to do watching his life. There was a little too much simplicity and not enough work. My dad said he was a warehouse full of facts, no delivery trucks. He was kind of the hippie that had all the awesome. knowledge and that. then didn't have the action. So, man, I've been listening to my dad through the action of operations and organization. And you have to make a living of this or you will not do it. And then I still kind of listen to the heart part of my uncle jack who was philosopher taught me taoism taught me about you know we talk about the dalai lama and all that stuff you know i think everybody has an uncle jack i just don't think they i didn't i had uncle stewie and uncle kevin and neither were hippies at all gotcha there there was no my mom had a little hippie in her but she squashed that out a long time ago gotcha um but uh and i i know that when i first uh I think it was just weed. When I first smoked pot, I was like, it just, it did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And it, and yeah. then, and then I got into the mythology and all the stories and, and the yeah. beats and the hippies and, and the Beatles, like the Beatles was. So Dunkle Jack was the Beatles. Right. My mom, the Beatles, the Beatles were, were my higher power. Right. And then that was, you know, I grew up Catholic and I, I didn't relate to any of it at all at all it was guilt ridden and 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 i felt like i was already going to hell because i you know some of these commandments i had already fucked over and i'm like what's the point so between uncle jack and your dad you start painting canvases that you know you can take to shows and sell and trade so well no there was a guy i saw a couple guys do live painting through this transition from 99 to 01 because we're on that I saw a guy named Scramble Campbell. I saw a guy named Denny Dent and I saw a guy named Norton Wisdom. And when they were painting in front of people and you can Google all of them, they're all three different. Um, well, Scramble was on the widespread panic scene. When I saw that, I'm an extrovert. I, I get my energy from other people. When I saw artwork being created on the spot, that was the antithesis. I'm sitting in my studio being a painter but I have 50 unfinished paintings and I'm bored out of my mind. And lonely. Oh, totally lonely. Isolated. Couldn't get a goddamn thing done. I had every opportunity to do it. I couldn't finish it. But here I'd go to a show. I'd be sitting in the crowd. And I'm like, why can't I paint now? All of my brain is connected. Because my brain is like, I mean, who knows what's going on up there? I mean, the car wreck, the concussions, you know, the trauma. I don't, I, I, I've been trying to figure out this thing, you know, trying to figure out this like mind that lives in this meat suit for that's, it's been my full-time job. 
trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. So I knew that worked for me. So I was bartending at 75th Street Brewery 22 years ago, and I told them. Where's the 75th Street Brewery? In Kansas City. All right. I said, "Give give me the opportunity to set up and paint. Like, nobody knew what I was talking about until I did it. And I set up and did these one-off, big, huge paintings. Every Thursday night, people came. I sold some for like $200, $300, and that became the neighborhood thing to do. And I called everybody every Friday, every Thursday and said, come down, we're getting a good musician, and you know, and then come, come connect. I had a bar tab. I got, we'd do blow and drink and paint. It was amazing. And it, it, the act of it was waking up the next morning, the finished product wasn't always finished so to speak but the process the process was so gutsy and so much probably the biggest thing i ever did and it was on my birthday i cut my thumb that day wide open had stitches still painted and george george harrison died that night wow and my uncle was murdered right after that when did he when was he murdered after a couple weeks later on martin luther king day oh my god what was the story there he used to take homeless guys in Uncle Jack. Uncle Jack loved the Vietnam vets. Right. And he, 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 and he took them in. He said, hey, come help me paint my back porch. I'll let you stay here, get you on your feet. Wow. So, so what he did, he took this guy in, and this guy was just a bad seed and uh, murdered him with a hammer. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Burned his house down and then wrecked our family. And I would tell you this. I've noticed and done a lot of reflection, and I saw what this guy did when he murdered my uncle. Um, I've accepted that, and I've accepted Jack's death, but what's really hard for me is to watch what it did to my family. It made my uncle really angry. It made my dad really angry. It made my brother change his kind of, like, temperament. It, it shut down some people. It separated us. We didn't, we didn't, we weren't as gregarious as in happy. And my grandma died a few days later. It's incredible. It things are so delicate traumatic. and interconnected. When my mother died, my family stopped functioning in, in a million ways. Yeah. It just stopped. I, it it just a, stopped working. And I can pinpoint it like all the things that came after it, you know, all the medicators, right? Food, checking out, disassociation, alcoholism, drug addiction, all that just went fucking haywire after that. I can pinpoint So it. before that, where was your drug using and drinking? <sighs> cocaine and whiskey. And then it went from cocaine, whiskey, psychedelic, psychedelics. So it started getting into the feeling. You talk to me at 26, I'm a fucking... I will drink a bottle of whiskey, tell you 15 jokes, laugh like Chris Farley, who I saw two days before he died in Chicago. I mean, I was a hardcore drinking cocaine partier in Chicago. When I got back to Kansas City in 98, 99, I became a weed-smoking cocaine. Nothing ever dropped off. Yeah, you, just, <laughs> you just added stuff Oh, on. yeah, and there's just throw in two packs of cigarettes every day. So if you're talking to me, basically you're talking to me from a guy who was out at the bars for six hours last night, so I have no voice. I'm smoking cigarettes for breakfast. I think you could be people to do pretty, Hulk Hogan with that. Pretty, people would pretty much come up to me for years and be like, Bukady. Right. Because I had that like ultimately raspy voice that was always 
under stress from partying. The ultimate party voice. Yeah, Not the ultimate ma- party voice. You for do, sure. For sure. But you also have a booming fucking voice. And yeah. then you add all that stuff and you sound like the Hulkster circa 1986. Yeah, and then, and then so now I'm a hippie, right? At 29 or like, you know, and I'm painting live and I'm and I'm still 6'4", 240. I started to get skinny because I didn't eat. I didn't have any money. I woke up at three in the afternoon and, you know, maybe got a burrito and then go back right after the night thing. So I I saw musicians doing that. So I became kind of what I wanted to be, which was a pseudo rock star. And I I would say I wasn't a rock star because I wasn't famous or popular, but I was living that rock star lifestyle. And that that was fucking real. Okay, well, paint that picture a little bit better for me. I mean, my brother's house is literally the party house. So literally, I mean, older brother, younger older brother. brother always took me into the into the, the older crowd. We all, I was all like when I was fourteen, I was eighteen. You know, like all that kind of stuff. Right. I was doing all that what they were doing, and they were fun. I mean, they were fun. It was a very guy thing, right? He was always with a lot of guys drinking. Was he a football player too? No, but he's a huge football fan. Huge football fan. He knew every stat and everything. I mean, I, I won't even go on, but he's on and on. Um, so that was the lifestyle. Lots of guys, lots of coke in the kitchen. Now I'm selling, now he's got no more anonymity, but I think everybody knows how hard we partied at that house 20 years ago. We had 500 people there for one Christmas party once, and the cops came like three times, and we both went to jail. So I don't think it's that big of a secret. Right. And then I started getting into the more of the love drugs, right? And that became... Um, and, and I just read this book, How to Change Your Mind, because I was going to tinker with psychedelics. And I don't need to, but which is great, because I, had, I read the book and I realized that that actually did pull me out of that archetype of like Go whiskey slower and... Here. Go slower here. Okay. Because like, this is an interesting, it's an interesting conversation for anyone in sobriety that lived like you or like me, where psychedelics become very interesting again. What was the book? What did you want to tinker with? And how did you realize you didn't want? And then we got to get back to where the addiction was. But okay, I we the got the timeline. We're at okay. 2000. Yeah, all right. Let's go into psychedelics a minute. It's the huge topic right now that lot people that are severely in the program are not severely in the program, set in this AA pr- program. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to accept it. Now there's this whole other movement that's happening. With, you mean people in in twelve step universe don't want to yeah, deal with psychedelic not, universe? If if you're one of those people that aren't, then then then, then that's you. then that's fine. But I'm saying my perception is that there's this thing that's like don't fuck with psychedelics, don't talk about psychedelics, don't do it. Now I love the guy from from Boulder Recovery 2.0, and he he did a really good uh, 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 talk about psychedelics. So I start tinkering with psychedelics. I'm not doing them. I'm thinking about using them to get over my trauma right i have a good buddy of mine did it and he had i'm afraid i'm gonna start liking psychedelics like i have of course and so i i would just tell you to watch that guy from uh from recovery 2.0 if you want to know this so i go out there and i come back and i but i read the book and i realized in my recovery what's the book again how to change your mind who wrote it michael Pollan. okay so how to change your mind. When I read it, I changed my mind and looked back and went, wow, the last night I ever took a drink, I ate a handful of mushrooms and I said, I'm fucking done with this shit. I'm going out tonight on Halloween. I dressed up as Edward Scissorhands and I said, I'm done. 
partying. I'm done drinking. And the psychedelics and that, totally accelerated I think, the I think they. Totally. I think intention was I important. That. I get that. So I didn't realize that so much till later. And I went, well, they actually did play a part in my sobriety. Because I couldn't, I couldn't put down a 12-pack on a Tuesday night. My Fridays may have been fun. My Tuesdays when I was suicidal, drinking a 12-pack by myself is why I had to quit drinking. If everything was so fun on Friday and Saturday, I would have kept doing it. But I couldn't, I couldn't get off my fucking ass or get out of bed on the monday and tuesday in the crash that was the problem so 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 i'm lately i'm talking about all this psychedelic stuff and i feel like okay listen i don't need it i got 12 steps i got people in this program but if somebody's suicidal this is my take on it and somebody can't get out of the gutter and you do whatever you do can whatever do. you can do 100%. bro and if you want to go see a therapist that's gonna give you some you know some mescaline whatever it is that you mean i don't MDMA. care if you're yeah. about to die and your life it can't get worse i have nothing but love for you so i don't it's not my opinion to say what you can do but I, you're giving me the platform to say how i feel about psychedelics and i feel like we got to be in, in you and me i think we got to be real careful about what we're doing on the side my life was so bad it's like if i could have like it's like you described tuesday versus friday and friday was fun and tuesday wasn't if anything could have stayed fun i wouldn't be here talking with you about it right you know if any if i if i could have stayed in a using state and enjoying my life i wouldn't be here bro but- i couldn't even get off the pineapple thing that they put at our table yesterday i was obsessing <laughs> over i took a bite over it and then it's like hey you want another bite i'm like no i don't want to like i still right. struggle over right. over you know sugar and too much this i'm the same much way that. i'm exactly so i don't the same need way. anything that's gonna throw my mind into a, a swirl i i when i'm around people on lsd i i start tripping i'm there exactly <laughs> so i don't need it i'm all about like right now i'm all about raising your vibration and how do you do that and and what's the highest vibration is love right well hold up slow down slow down because right. you're getting to the crescendo. i did have two cups of i don't want to get i don't want to get to the crescendo yet. okay one thing I do because I I loved weed so much is I pantomime smoking weed and I get high. Really? Like, I, I can still I smoke a roach like this, and it, it gets me high because I can I can feel every I can feel the burning in my finger. I can feel the burning on my lips. I can feel the burning in my mouth. I can know, I know what it tastes like. I know exactly what's going to happen in my brain, and it's still all there. Mm-hmm. And and it's like I have friends or I meet people in twelve step who are smoking weed and whatever and I'm like, and I don't I don't judge anybody for fucking shit. I'm just like right. I know that I couldn't get anywhere with it, and I know that I can still access being stoned really easily. I everyone yeah. thinks I'm stoned anyway. All the I time. do. You have some stony eyes. I know. But I'm glad to know you don't. But uh, no, I don't. Um, uh, what was it? But I want to get back to the the acceleration of your addiction after Uncle Jack. Cause like that's when yeah, shit sure. got crazy for sure. So he, he's murdered. We go through all that. There was a period where I was sad. Like I went I, and, and my buddy who's a great musician. Now he's passed on Greg camp. God bless him. He used to play a lot of Neil Young songs. So you came to that Thursday night thing and it was sad. So what happens two years later, I moved to Denver. I, I, I put the X and on that whole thing. I, got in a relationship that went sour and I just took off. My buddy had a place, Cervantes in um, 
Colorado and shit was happening. Now, we're in the middle of the war. 9-11 happened. All this stuff. Life is sucking, really. It really was a, a, a life suck. I would be in Kansas City smoking weed and get kicked out of people's houses because on the back patio because that shit was illegal you hippie get out of here and then i go to denver and uh, it's the promised land sunshine mountains Bud. hippies dancing you know hanging out with john popper partying my ass off with musicians i'm on stage at red rocks all of a sudden uh, overnight how did that, that happen because i'm painting live and nobody had seen it before and it's the most wide open scene this underground dead scene that jay bianchi and his brothers had it was flourishing there were three bars there's steve kamak and all these musicians this right. is before Tr this is before Tedeschi trucks got big. Right. This is when, you know, government mule was getting big right. and all this movement of the jam band scene. It wasn't even a thing then, but it was happening right in front of my face. I was in the corner doing psychedelics. I was the house painter at Cervantes, 900 people, and I was rubbing elbows with some of the greatest musicians and drinking and partying with some of the most fun, you know, creative people chris robinson and all this and i'm not name dropping to no, this is good for me I, i'm I trying like to make connections and, and it's, visuals it, and it's an i have arrived moment. and it was it was i was right? on the cover of the denver post i thought i was famous there's no social media but i mean i'm walking around and people know who i am because i'm the crazy big guy painting right and so you're like the equivalent of the old light show, the Joshua light show, or okay. the UFO show sure in, you go. In, in England. But you're a person with this crazy voice and this ability and you're a visual aspect of this scene. Definitely. And it was a very, very perfect moment in time of real music before that blossomed. And then I'll, uh, uh, I can fast forward to you that that was a blur and it's crazy. It was a blur. But I was doing so much psychedelics in there that if I go into that blur, it's really long. I have some really like Hunter S. Thompson paintings. I have some paintings that I'd never revealed that were, some were just terrible. Looked like I threw up on the canvas because I just experimented every night in there. Once I took a wall, a roll of wallpaper and I cut them three, th I, I did like 20 paintings to this band. And they were, you know, what some band? of them. I can't even remember. I think it was the Motet, but okay. um, but um, I was just I, I was I was in my I was experimenting. I did whatever I want in that corner. You know, it was probably twenty feet from the stage, and I was just letting the music come through me and feed it, and it was going right on the canvas, syn like synchronized with the canvas. And what I, were the psychedelics you were taking? Mostly like LSD or mushrooms. Uh, one night I got hit. Uh, my buddy looks over, gives me a hit, and um. 20 minutes later, it kicks in, and there's plastic around my pre-stretched canvas, you know? And I go to take it off. I can't. My fingers are like fettuccine noodles. Yeah. So I'm sitting there 20 minutes. Everybody's laughing at me. I set up to paint. There's a light on me to paint. I don't paint. I walk. I don't paint the whole night. Everybody's like, what are you doing? I go, this is my artist statement tonight. I couldn't paint. I was in my head. But Were you ever, like, getting the, the crazy liquid, like, fresh dead family acid shit, crystal wash, all that stuff. I have no idea what okay. we were calling it. Okay. They were just putting it in my mouth and I was doing it. They weren't dropping and I had trusted, the, the mirror no, no. in your trust eyes and all servants. that. And okay. I never did three or four. And I never did, 
I never went out there for three days and did it. I, I was pretty mindful. Oh, mindful. I was pretty mindful. Doesn't sound like you're mindful, buddy. Uh, but I was wide open. And, and you didn't lose your mind, which is really I the did point. lose my mind, if you want to go to that. Okay. So it's 2007, and I'm in my own studio. I have no couch. I just have Colorado. a Colorado. I'm in downtown Colorado, right next to the Denver Art Museum that's being built. It's a small place, but it's got three rooms, and it is my place and i was always on couches or small bedrooms being kind of taking care of my codependent friends were kind of helping me i'll trade you a painting for this month rent so i lose my mind well, we lost a friend of ours laura to cancer that was kind of the beginning of the year and then my dad gets diagnosed with cancer mm. so shit's getting real there's no tripping anymore because if I trip, then I just think about how life fucking shit is going wrong. Yeah. So the party's starting to end. The little boy's like scared as fuck. So then another guy dies of cocaine. I go to the funeral. Nobody talks about cocaine. So I'm Mr. Truth Seeker, anti-Bush, anti-war, you know. Hippie. You know, what they did brownie did to katrina you know i'm mr hippie right i got all the Activist, fucking answers yes. and i start looking at the truth of my community we're all getting fucked up every time people are dying of getting fucked up so here's my lost story i get evicted um i'm convinced the government is following me um, I have a skylight and I'm sure there's a helicopter that's looking at me. I'm for, I'm, I'm still sitting here going, they may have, they, were probably <laughs> there. They, were probably there. <laughs> they may have been up there. I saw little lights. I'm sure they were, you know, I had, I didn't go to the tinfoil, but I was close. I had visuals cause I was disassociating so bad from my body. I had lots of hallucinations day in, day out. I could hallucinate on a moment's notice, which is now to come to find out dissociation. Like I was literally suffering. So then I lose my girlfriend, who's this really amazing person that I met. You break up or she dies? No, she leaves. She, okay. I had wanted her for months. I finally get her and she leaves him, you know, pretty quick. You know, I get my car evicted and then Jason, my buddy, Good buddy I played football with. Very similar, very outgoing, very lovable. He kills himself. Oh, my God. That was the moment I hit my knees. I ran out the door when my dad told me. I remember the, every step. I'm running in slow motion. I'm running from it in my driveway. And uh, I get to the grass, and I just hit my knees. And I kind of knew it was over. I get to the funeral, not only am I like trying to quit, I'm doing key bumps before I go into the funeral. Key bumps. Yeah. I'm doing fucking key bumps. And I literally did a key bump and I go, I'm doing a fucking key bump in bef into this guy who died with a gun and a bottle of vodka, right? We don't talk about that. We go into the funeral, nobody talks about that. About how he died. No. Right. We don't talk about that. We don't want to talk about that, right? What do you talk about? We don't talk about that. So I, I like to joke about some of the things that this um, people in the South, like, we don't talk about that. Right. Do yeah. they say that? Oh, yeah. We don't talk about that. And I was like, well, yeah, but you're, you're a lesbian and you're married. You don't tell your parents? We don't talk about that. So I'm sitting here in the Midwest. We don't talk about that. Compressed. I'm fucking, fucking pissed. Right, right. But I'm doing key bumps. So I'm clearly not. 
awake. I'm clearly living two lives. Right. I'm also fucking crazy. I'm talking to a buddy of mine who's a psychologist. I'm like telling him all the symptoms. And he finally goes, you know, psychosis can be caused by alcoholism. And I go, what? Not to mention cocaine. I go, yeah. I go, really? He goes, yeah, you could have psychosis. I go, you're kidding me. So I Google psychosis. I'm like, oh, I'm fully fucking crazy. Right, right. And I'm like, I got to leave. So I literally, that was the beginning of... That's when I quit drinking, Halloween 2007. I quit drinking, and then my dad died. And you kept smoking? I kept smoking weed. My mind was like, here's what my mind was like, bro. Put your car in park. Sit there. Put the gas on the pedal. And just watch it. So unless I was doing something, I was in park with an engine that had a fucking cinder block on it. Can you visualize that? I can. And I couldn't do anything about it. I didn't know how to do anything about it. I just got up and started walking. I started talking to my buddy's brother who died. You know, my buddy Jason died. I started talking to my buddy. I said, I quit drinking. He said, that's great. I didn't have any program. I didn't know anybody in the world that didn't quit, that quit drinking. I didn't know a goddamn thing about recovery. Not a fucking thing. Not a thing. I didn't, so I had no way to get help. I just knew I needed to quit drinking. So my dad dies. I, I, I was lucky enough to have a pretty good speech with 1,500 people, and I talked from my heart. And all I did was what every great artist did was copy and paste his work. He was a poet. So I took all these stanzas from different poets, like, and I, like a DJ, I put them all together and put them in a, in a poem. And people were weeping, and I was weeping, and we started the healing process. That was a beginning thing. And then I went to Crested Butte. I was called to Crested Butte. What's that about? I don't know. I think it was nature or something higher than me. I would walk out my mom's door. I was staying with my mom for about a month after my dad died. It was it was sad, bro. Dad, my dad was everything right. to everyone. Right. So the life force, our North Star, was gone. You walk in the house, you don't hear this, hey, John, you don't hear this, hey, buddy, you don't hear it anymore. And so the glue kind of like, that was kind of the, the glue. And, you know, I walk outside, look at the stars, and I go, I'm going to Crested Butte. I just was called. I had pretty good intuition in a way. I you was, had people there? I had a couple people there. So I go there. I move there. I'm a lost soul. I'm 200 pounds. Smoking pot every day. Smoking pot every day. I find a nice studio. You're and I'm still like, tripping. I'm no. gonna no. Okay. A little bit. Just a little bit here right. and there. Yeah. Do you, why do you have any? No. Keep going. <laughs> Just kidding. That joke was so funny when we used. Not yeah. so much in recovery. So I go it's to. So funny. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> so I go to Crested Butte and I start. I start doing Kundalini. I start doing. Oh you. Oh Judici or not Judici like any activity they had. I'm like I'm getting up in the morning and being a normal person. I wanted to get Qigong. married. I wanted to get married and have kids too. There was a drive there. So I go to Crested Butte and I turn up the shades and I say, Wake up in the morning, dude. Let's start living right. I'm smoking weed every day. I find my childhood friend. Those two Hardigan brothers are why I went to Crested Butte. They were, I knew them. I loved them. I trusted them. We went on childhood trips. Kevin was sober. Sean wasn't. Right. Guess who I was hanging out with? I'd say Sean. Sean. Yes. <laughs> Both of them are lovable guys. Both of them are still really good friends of mine. Um, and, you know, Kevin was attraction promotion, you know, not promotion, AA guy. 
and he would just go, oh, if you ever want to go to a meeting, come in. So I'm smoking weed every day. I'm still doing a little psychedelics. I'm just not living a clean life. And I'm listening to Wayne Dyer and Eckhart Tolle and all these spiritual guys. Right. Watching Netflix documentaries on the Dalai Lama, smoking bong hits out of a three-foot bong. Yeah. And I'm literally finding the juxtapose and going, this isn't going to work anymore. Right. And well, or first, the question is, why isn't this working? I'm so spiritual. So, now, this might sound egotistical. Um. But I started getting healing because just the alcohol itself was not happening anymore. So I started healing. You know, I was walking in the woods. I was painting. I was meditating. I had quiet, right? So there was some healing going on just from the atmosphere that I put myself in. I put myself in a healthy situation of healing. Well, not to I mention I didn't put even... myself, but I also, I also, the trickster put me in a fucking place of isolation, right? So I started isolating, which we know in recovery is a f bad well, thing. Well, especially for you. Right. You're not a, a, a lonely in the room by right. yourself guy. People right. fuel you in every aspect right. of your life. When I'm riding high, when I'm riding in my you know, authentic self, right? Because I can be a real downer, right? Because I suffer from mental. What 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 did they say yesterday? Mental uh, injury. Yes. That was beautiful. But what I what I was gonna say though, because like I I can put down. I mean, sometimes I tend to put down weed smoking in this weird way. But sure. like when when and I love Bob Marley. Like I live for Bob Marley, and I and I and I and I, and I like the idea of fancying myself as some sort of Rasta type at some point of my life. Gotcha. And, and the idea, I can see that. And the idea of a of a meditative quality from smoking bud. You know what I yeah. mean? And I don't think that's out of the question. So when you're talking about removing the alcohol, going to Crested Butte, and smoking weed, there is still some sort of meediation in all that shit. Yeah. And, and like. I, I'm not, and I'm not saying like that's the way. I'm just saying it changes. I can tell you where it changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, and this is me sounding egotistical, possibly, but I felt like I was getting higher spiritually. So if we talk about the program that there's a spiritual hole in our soul, yes, that we're trying to fill with drugs and alcohol or little, little deadly or whatever. Now we know that that little hole in the soul might just be fucking severe trauma. We're trying to fill that up with something to be enough, right? What I was doing was filling up with spiritual stuff. I mean, I'm listening to Eckhart Tolle, his voice and everything. I'm going, oh, my God, change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. Oh, my God. Like, I'm having these moments of clarity. And I go to smoke weed, and I'm getting a downer. Right. It's not working together. And I'm getting a downer. Like, I used to get high and be like, I'm going to get high. I'm high. Then I'd be like, I'm going to get high. And then I'm like, I'm low. What's fucking happening? Because it's like a depressant. It is. I didn't need it anymore. I was filling up with It wasn't working as well as Eckhart Tolle in the, the universe. God. Right. Which was just as simple as clean living, good breathing, and like natural connection to the fucking now. So was know? that the end of Bud where you were like, this is That was the end of the Bud, but it took me about four months i could i was addicted to bud that's yeah. why yeah and yeah, i was like but too. you can't be addicted to bud john you keep smoking weed every day and every day you keep quitting definition of addiction doing the thing you hate so i go to panic try one last chance at this go hang out with all my hippie buddies in aspen i'm hating it i'm hating it but i did that night decide okay the last night of the last trip i'm doing a big hit of ecstasy Go do the big hit ecstasy, full circle. 
they all fall asleep because they've been partying all day. I'm in the middle of the, the woods looking at the stars, and the stars start coming down to where I feel like I can reach out and see them, and it was like, dude, you have to quit smoking pot. Amazing. And I go back, and I get in 12-step. Listen, and the best thing about this and conversation. Since then, I have been in 12-step, like, fighting it some days. I go to, some days I did a 90 and 90. I had some, At some point, I had five sponsees. I went through a, a whole slew of sponsors. I've fought this program as much as you can fight it. I bought in like, a, a, like an all-star. And, and I have never used in all you, if you look at the history of my life, as far as being spontaneous or impulsive or doing the things that would get you out of the pattern. And like, I really have that DNA to be a chronic relapser, you know, and but I am, I'm not, and I'm not going to be. Because you love how you feel. I, lo I will not go back. If it was shit. the other way, it's like, that's what it's just. I can't a very go back there for two fucking hours. Dude. Listen, my, I, I'm so happy we did this. Yeah. And I'm I'm really happy that we organically got to the hit of ecstasy in the beginning in the end. Oh, you see how you got to wrap it up that full circle thing. I don't have to. You did it. I did it. You did it. And now we have to do our weird uh, Ertzatz meeting. We're supposed to go meet these guys. Let's do it. Let's Yo, go get the community. John Bucati. You fucking tore it up on Dopey. Thank you, man. It how was do you very, feel? Did you I have fun? I feel great. Man. You feel good? Thank you. I, I, I really appreciate you. Lots of love, buddy. Yeah, Thanks for bringing out the best of me. It was a good time. So that was my new friend and fantastic artist, painter extraordinaire, John Bucati. And now in an unprecedented move that we've never done on the show, we have John Bucati on the phone to give his final thoughts on the John Bucati interview. John Bucati, welcome back to Dopey. Hey, man. How you feel? I'm great. Good morning. Good morning. So, what do you think? You, you, we were, we talked for a bit, and you had a you wanted to make a a, a a a message to the dopey nation regarding psychedelics, and I think you should make it. Yeah, I do. I I, I just wanted to put kind of a disclaimer out there. You know, I I talked directly from my heart, and I thought it was an excellent you know interview. And um, nice. I, you know. I, appreciate the vulnerability on you know on your part and pulling it out of me nice. like you did yes, and thank uh, you my only disclaimer i think was that i don't want to encourage people to like go out and get fucked up on psychedelics i was trying to talk you know from a standpoint of honesty about psychedelics and how you know they can help a lot of people and um, how i just shared my story that's about it so you're Another saying, thing I you're, saying is, you're saying you're saying don't jump to the smoke shop and buy the dmt vape pen right now don't do that no i think there's a solution in 12 steps that i need to be responsible about in my story that this is all you know you know our experience strength and hope is all you know is all we have and um you know, with the dopey show, we get to, we get to, you know, laugh and have fun in, in our wild experience. But overall, I want to, you know, this is a very serious topic, right? And I just want to let people know with love that the message is, the message of hope is in the 12 step for me. Totally. What, what about like this? Do you ever feel that your 12 stepness is culty? 
Like, do you ever get that yes. feeling? And what do you think about that? I think that's when I, that's when I'm getting too close to the, you know, to the, to the, um, clickiness. That's when I need to step out and, 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 and go outside and step out and see other realms of communities. Um, I love dancing around other communities. I really do. What, what communities would you be dancing near or adjacent to? I mean, I would say like, you know, my studies of like, you know, Eckhart and, and Thich Nhat Hanh and, you know, some of the other communities that are out there spiritually, even some sorts of religions. I like bouncing around the, those places so that I can get a different perspective. I, I think, uh, you know, getting too involved in certain home groups and whatnot, you know, if, you know, if that's all you, if you only live in that world, it can be dangerous in my opinion. Totally. And I love Technahan. He might be my favorite of all of them. I, I had a, he I had, is right I, now for me. I, I had a book, the Tao of sobriety, right. Or the Tao of recovery. It was this, I read this book by Technahan way back in the day called being peace. And I was like, this mm -hmm. is the book. This is the book I need to emulate. And then I became a horrible drug addict. And then when I got, when I tried to get sober, the first book I got was Technahan, The Tao of Sobriety. And I, he's great. He's my, he's one of my all time favorites. And we were talking, you and me, at, in Utah uh, about, um, you know, you were talking about, uh, what's his face? Uh, Tim Ferriss. And you were talking about how Tim yes. Ferriss compiles like, bits and pieces from people in order to help inspire other people. And you were, you were saying if someone could take away, could boil down your recovery to a few things, what would those few things be? Cause I thought that was a great point you made. Yeah. Um, I think I was referring to tools of Titans, which yes. kind of, he took hour long pirate podcast and then took nice small pieces. But if you're asking me that, um, for me, um, if you could take small pieces of my, or the best <clears throat> of mine, it would be um, pick up the phone when you don't want to and daily reprieve with, with, with action. So it's a daily practice of all sorts of tools. And for me, I'm so bored with myself. It's one day, you know, I, I write constantly, but I do cartoons and I do watercolors and I go listen to podcasts and I just kind of have, uh, you know, all sorts of different uh, tools to help me stay sober. And it's every single day. Um, in the past 13, 14 years, what has really got me off track is literally like three to eight days. I will disappear from the program, not call anybody and, and start to isolate. It's like a magnet. And I think it's just an old pattern that's pulling me back. Um, and so the opposite of that for me is connection through, um, small tools. What do you do in those isolation segments? Like, what do you do? Well, I get stuck in my head and I, I start thinking and then I start, you know, like feeding the fears, you know, that sign that says don't feed the fears. Right, right, right. I mean, I, I, I told you how important it is for me to say the positive, like pour the milk carefully instead of don't spill the milk. So I really focus on like pick up the phone, go out go out to eat, get into the community, go to a meeting. There's, you know, with Zoom, there's a meeting all the time. 
anywhere in the world now. That's a beautiful thing. Um, the bad thing about COVID was you couldn't just go meet people because I do believe our nervous system is, you know, at peace when we're in the room with other recovering people. Right. And the way you self-talk, the way you label yourself is like, you know, you know, I think that you got to be real careful about how you talk to yourself because I don't think your body uh, knows the difference, you know, when you're kidding or not. And um, so it's really about this, like, you know, radical empathy for yourself. That's interesting, though, because you seem like a rather sardonic, often sarcastic, very jokey person. You don't think your body sure. knows, knows the difference? You know, like if I if I you are what you say you are and I say, if I say, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to be fat forever. And I'm just, that's the way, you know, I just, I just, I have a sexual relationship with Ben and Jerry's every night at nine o'clock and that's, and you joke about it, then that's what it's going to be. Or at least that's what you're setting yourself up to be. So I feel like, you know, some of my snarky jokes about myself were, were unkind and that I have to like, rebuild those through, you know, accountability. I mean, I am constantly texting people to say, Hey, meet me at a meeting tomorrow. I'm struggling. Right. You got a minute. I mean, I, you know, you know, like the embroiderment on like a nice shirt or a nice sweater, and then you turn it over and you see all the mess back there with yeah. the stitching. Yeah. That's me. I think the word so I think the, the word you're looking for is embroidery, though, not embroiderment. That's probably well. Then you know, then I've got some serious flaws on the on the on the front. Too, I I call know? myself an idiot constantly. Do you think that's working against myself? I always thought that's absolutely. inviting people in. Absolutely, I think vulner vulnerability. I think vulnerability is 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 the secret to that inv invitation that you're talking about not self-deprecation so you think self-deprecation um, can be harmful absolutely uh -oh. 10 times harmful than a positive thing uh -oh. so every time you call yourself an idiot yes you have to do something 10 times you have to say you're you know a fantastic human 10 times because the negative comment is more um potent than 10 times more potent than the positive comment. So, so if you say idiot 10 times a day, you better build yourself up a hundred times a day. I just fear, I fear being, I, I fear being too braggy. I don't want to be so braggy. It's not braggy. It's not braggy. It said I, that, you know, instead of calling yourself an idiot, which is shameful, it's saying, you know, I started, you know, I started doing stupid shit again this morning. Right. All right. See the difference. All right. Even though I, and like, but I'm trying to invite this people. This is one in. of the things that we, I, then that what's the difference than just saying, separating it as a moment of weakness instead of calling yourself an idiot again, which is incredibly painful. Um, if I called you a fucking idiot right now, how it, you would, it would probably sit in for a couple of days. And I was serious about it, you know, if I said that, you know, it would be incredibly painful. And there would be have to be a lot of rewiring done. <clears throat> this is what I don't think we talk enough about in the meetings is because we sit there and we say, hey, my name's John. I'm an alcoholic. It's like, you're not an alcoholic anymore. You know, you're a recovering alcoholic. You got you haven't had a drink in 24 years. You don't have to live by that archetype anymore. I feel you don't like have to live I feel into like that shame. I feel like if That's you, a, you if, can still be honest and vulnerable without shaming yourself and putting a stamp on yourself that says, 
you know, that every single day you call yourself, you know, a drug addict 16 times a day. That's not true. Right. Right. I get that. But it was like, I had this feeling just now, right. That if you called me a fucking idiot, I would be comforted by it somehow because I know there's love behind it. But like, that's interesting that that's my go-to, you know what I mean? Like that I, I feel comforted in my idiocy where I think that's room for growth, John. What do you think? Yeah, de- I definitely. And I think there's something about humility that makes me um, content. And far as like the braggadocious thing, yeah, <clears throat> I get that. Like humility is is something that comes with like honesty. So I think that when I'm honest and say, man, I struggle every day, but my struggles have become less and less since I had this community. And oh my God, I'm coming on 14 years of sobriety. My life was 90% negative thought compared to what it is now, which is like 90 positive thought and 10% negative thought that I'm constantly growing and strong in this, in this program. Because yes, man, we, we, we know this in the program that we are super hard on ourselves and we wouldn't talk to other people the way we talk to ourselves right not in a million years and i'm gonna say this right we recorded that interview in the middle of the park city song summit and it was really an incredible experience for me and i think it might have been that night i got to see you paint live at the anders osborne show and it was so fucking cool and John made this incredible painting of Anders and his band, and I'll, I'll post it on Dopey social media. Um, how are you feeling post Utah? You're back in New Orleans. How are you feeling? I mean, I got to be honest with you. I am. I this is the best I've felt. I got divorced over three years ago, and I knew I was going to take a nosedive. It had probably been a long time coming. And I've been telling my people for the last couple of weeks, and especially since I got back from Utah, you know, we're out of the pandemic. I'm out of the nosedive. I feel better than I did before the divorce. So this is the best I've felt in a long time. And being in a place like Park City with all that community and, you know, I, we don't need it 100 percent sober. We never asked for that. Anders and Ben and we just wanted mocktails and like them to recognize sober people in the music community. And I think he did a really good job of that. I think we were asking for some kind of space that recognized people that are sober instead of saying you're out. Um, You know, you're not invited here. This is a place where we get effed up or whatever. And so what the song summit did for me is it gave us a safe space. It gave us inclusion into what was amazing about the, the song. Well, it wasn't everything. It wasn't all sobriety and we're going to make it sound like it was, but it, it felt like to me that it was like 30% of it was, was, was about mental health and sobriety. And which in, in retrospect was like the foundation for this, for this festival. I felt like did you feel, it was the did, foundation. Did you have any kind of come down? Like I came home and I was like, no, I was bursting with joy and good feeling. And like, uh, I don't know. Like I really felt like I've never been treated so nicely as I was at this thing. 
And I came home like, and I didn't feel like I was happy. I, I was, first of all, I was happy to get home and sleep in my bed and shit. But, uh, but I was also just happy that I had experienced it. And I was really like, I don't know. I felt good. I felt like, uh, like it lasted with me instead of like missing it or something. So uh, how about you? I totally agree. I, I have, I am still on the same level. I continue to keep doing this breath work. I continue to be in a place of gratitude. There was no come down, um, for me. I feel empowered. And, um, if you're a listener <clears throat> to dopey and this is kind of, uh, you know, um, for those who are dopey listeners that are music lovers, you will not, you will not regret it. If you go to this song summit next year, you know, you will feel that community. You know, the grateful dead has the wharf rats back there with the balloons at set break talking about, you know, recovery. This, this seems like that wharf rats vibe is everywhere you look and, you know, and that, that, that to me is, um, is a real buying sign for those to buy into the buy into the festival next year because the, there's a spot for us and but the music that's though, all we want man the music space the music was fucking incredible the scene the town was super cool the the placing places we stayed it was like it was pretty incredible and you know who was there and I meant to record with him and I'm gonna record with him in some capacity is Earl Bud Lee who wrote, I've got friends in low places. Oh, how funny that is. I, I walk into the restaurant with Jen. We didn't go out with you, um, to dinner. And this was the last night before I painted at Anders. And I walked in, saw him sitting there. I had seen him there all weekend. Yeah. Never said a word to him. Yeah. Walked right up to his table. And I said, we're going to eat dinner with you. And he goes, I knew you were going to right when you walked in. <laughs> he was a, he was an old cowboy that was so interesting. So Jen and I sat there and ate dinner with him for an hour. And I, 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 I you know, I asked him the crazy questions and whatnot. He's sober, um, three years. He was, um, he was like one so, of the sweetest people I've ever met. I, I, I was like, do you still have friends in low places? And he's like, absolutely. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a real original question to ask him. No, um, I asked him about it too. I mean, I had been talking to him the whole time without knowing who he was. He was just such a weird, yeah. like, sweet, unassuming dude. And then, uh, and Ben was like, you know, he wrote, I've got friends in low places. I was like, no way, you know? Yeah, he, he, he let, let us listen to his new song and he kind of put us in the pro, uh, put us into his process of the songwriter. It was a special, like, unknown treat. To, to sit with him he's a sweet man yeah i wish i had rec I, I wish i just recorded a quick thing with him like i was standing in the hallway with the phone in my hand mm -hmm. like like i should record something but whatever hopefully we'll go back next year john bucati you brought the dopey what were you gonna say i was gonna say that like that's what's great about that that um song summit is that you know people everyday people are gonna have those experiences that i had with them it's not just about my, you know, my credentials that I had is like, everybody got to, everybody got to have these intimate conversations in between the labs that I think was, was vital to the connection that we all carried back into our real life. Right. Yeah. And that super legend, uh, Harold from music cares was there. Yeah. And like, a, I mean, he's got, Harold's got more stories about recovery than anybody I know. He said, real, he's, 
He said he's real gonna, stories. He's gonna pop on the show sometime. And then, like what you said before, it wasn't all recovery. Pete Shapiro, who founded Brooklyn Bowl and Wetland, celebrated his fiftieth birthday at that thing, all tore up. And he was a funny fucker. Yeah. And uh, and a dude, he was I, so cool. Yeah, very cool. I knew him when I was a kid. And uh, I just like kind of haunted him at fucking Park City like a like a weird Jewish ghost. But he he was very funny, and he said he's gonna come on. Easy, go time. easy on yourself, you weird you weird you, Jewish you, ghost, you idiot. <laughs> All right, John, it, I can't tell you what a pleasure. So much love for you, buddy. You too, and and I sh- and you're on my new uh, my call list. So I'm sure I'll speak to you later today. Definitely. All right, man. Definitely. Thank you. Have a great day, and thank you for coming on, Dopey. Oh, I wanted to also tell you that was Tony Rosen, who is the 2.0 guy. I really like his stuff. Who's Recovery that? 2.0. Tony Rosen. Where, where, where is that? The, is I it? mentioned that in the podcast. And and I asked who wrote about, it, and you said, and you didn't know or something. I kept saying the Recovery 2.0 guy. So I'm sure your fans are going to go, "Who the hell is it?" You know, the Recovery 2.0 guy, and then Tony Rosen, because everything's a rough draft for me. Well, We're I gonna love, have to go do another take. For no, this no, to no, no. See no. what I missed here. This is perfection, Kidding, and I, I love the the unprecedented call-in right after the episode. So, thank you, John Bucati. Uh, you were thank am- you, buddy. All right, I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks, buddy. Bye. So that was John Bucati on the telephone, and now on the telephone, he's counting down the days for DopeyCon. He stopped eating on the weekends. His name is Ray Brown. Welcome back to the show. I'm so hungry. Starving. (laughs) Ray, have you really stopped eating on the weekends? I'm doing fasting on the weekends. We call that intermittent fasting. Yes. Drinking water. How much, uh, be honest for a second. How much fasting are you doing on the weekends? I'm doing Sunday. So what do you eat on Sundays? Water. You just drink water all day Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How well, many drink water all day? How many Sundays have you done this for, Ray Brown? Oh, uh, three. Three Sundays, just water. I often, well, I notice sometimes I just don't eat anyway, so I'm like, I might as well like do this officially. Right. All right. Well, so you know, I I, I was planning on training for DopeyCon. But I've gone the other way. Yeah. I've missed a bunch of days of exercise. And last night, I was going to eat. Linda buys these weird low-calorie pops, like yogurt pops that I like. Yeah. Last night, yeah. I ate two. Then I started eating biscotti. Then I started <laughs> eating Tate's chocolate chip cookies. Then oh, I busted out the oatmeal squares with the chocolate syrup and the Jesus. milk. And then I decided this morning, that's it. No more dessert until after DopeyCon. That's it. <laughs> Are you still doing push-ups? Yes. Oh, back, how many? Back on the beam. Well, for I, I do 200. Oh, my God. I know. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I don't think I could do one push-up. Well, maybe we can see at DopeyCon. Maybe we'll find out. Contest. We'll do the, the push-up challenge at DopeyCon. Now, yeah, have... For everybody, the whole audience. To see how many push-ups they can do? Yeah, who's going to win? Now, let you me, might win. I don't think so. Let me ask you something, Ray. On a scale yeah. of 1 to 10, how excited for DopeyCon are you? 10. Nice. You know who's o- over the moon excited? Who? My father. 
He can't get enough of it. Oh. <laughs> he's well, he's bananas. He's the star of Dopeycon. <laughs> he like wants to usher people into his apartment afterwards. He's Oh no. I know. Oh, no. I know. He said that somebody called the other day, my dad. After party after party at Allen's. Somebody called the other day and asked yeah. and said he was looking for his grandma and he needed money. And my dad almost like was taken advantage oh, of on the phone. Uh, I was just talking about that with somebody. I'm like, I, I get all these scams and I play games with them. But I remember telling my parents, like, if somebody calls and says that I'm in jail, it's not true. And don't send money. Unless you are. <laughs> unless, <laughs> right. unless, it unless it's out, me. Unless it's you. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah. so we have two things. We have the Ishmael recording, and we have a dopey voicemail. What do you want to hear? Yeah. Um, well, I've heard Ishmael. It's good. <laughs> so do you want to hear the His dopey? His name is Ishmael? Ishmael. Or Ishmael. Uh -oh. he, he pronounces it Ishmael, but it's Ishmael. Oh. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Right. I think it's Ishmael. Yeah, let's hear, let's hear the uh, voicemail. The dopey voicemail. This is yeah. from a very famous dopey listener who calls herself the dopey dane she invented the minase toodles expression really yes. i wondered where that came from is she from denmark oh you know what i actually invented it i said minase toodles when i was doing my horrible jamaican accent on an episode with chris but she repeated i don't even know what does it mean mean say it slowly <laughs> minase toodles as though i'm jamaican and, and a Jamaican oh, would say, oh. I won't say toodles. A Jamaican oh, would say, me not say toodles. But that's not probably what an actual Jamaican would say. That's my horrible version. And, and, the, <laughs> and this woman who's a weed grower in Northern California sent in uh, a voicemail years ago, and she closed with me not say toodles, hearkening back to me saying me not say toodles. <laughs> uh, but it was a big fan favorite. And her name is uh, the Dopey Dane. You want to hear it? Yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dopey Nation. This is the Dopey Dane, and I'm calling to tell y'all that I just went to rehab. I did like a 28 days um, in June, June to July, at this place called Ashley on the Eastern Shore in Maryland, which was a oh, shout out to anybody in the Dopey Nation that went to Ashley. Woo woo. <laughs> Yeah, that place was awesome. Um, I had the best time at rehab. It was like summer camp. <laughs> nah, but um, that place was chill. It was my first time at rehab. And I've been like smoking heroin mostly for the past like five or so years. Um, yeah, I started smoking it with my boyfriend at the time who like downward spiraled his life into drugs with like crack mostly but then just became homeless and I would like drive around and try to find him and when I did he was getting high and I started getting high too but I will spare you the gory details of my heroin addiction because they weren't really like that gory I mean I feel like all the real like dopey stories well at mine at least are like on uppers you know, like, that's when you do the crazy shit is high on uppers. But, I mean, when I was getting high on dope, you know, like, I didn't do much. 
you know like we had this sky bed it was like this deck built out from the side of the mountains i live in california and we built out this deck from the side of the mountains it was called the sky bed and we would like just be out on in the valley just like out in this crazy deck that like jut out from the side of the mountain so like the stars were super dope and the fog rolling into the mountains was like really sweet and there's a great place to like hang out and get high uh but yeah it was you know sometimes a good time but the real point of this voicemail is to say that dopey has really been there for me throughout all the motions of my addiction you know like I started listening when I was getting high to get like some sort of like kind of like help <laughs> or just like you know it makes you feel good it makes you feel like you're not alone because like my addiction well at least my nobody in my life really knew except a couple people that I was getting high and then my boyfriend died we weren't together when he died but he passed away Fox R.I.P. Um, and then after that I was really like alone in it and um dopey was there for me through getting high through some like periods of sobriety that i had i was like sober for like a, a year a good year or so and then um i picked it back up again when i was just like super bumming i had left i um, work in the cannabis industry and i had left my farm that i built out with my partner to like get this other job up in humble and i was just like busting ass for way less money in these like super labor intensive greenhouses and like living in a trailer on my boss's property and my dog was kind of dying and it was that lifestyle was super hard on her and I was just like this fucking sucks I'm definitely getting high so I did I like went down it's like up in Humboldt if y'all know Humboldt at all there's a spot called Eureka it's kind of it's called Eureka also there's like hella drug addicts and homeless people so it was really easy for me to find out you know and I started uh getting high again but um yeah now I uh went to rehab and I never thought I could like fill the little like heroin size hole in my heart you know but I I really feel like it's kind of gone <laughs> there'll always be a little tiny like pinprick there you know because like those are memories and those were like some good times but I'm really grateful for the Dopey Nation grateful for you Dave and you Chris and Minase Toodles love y'all that was the Dopey Dane Ray thoughts wow she makes smoking heroin and going to rehab sounds so fun. I know every time you hear about rehab, you're like, fuck, I don't know how I didn't get to go. <laughs> Maybe you can get me a scholarship. Yeah, I want to go to your tweaka and smoke heroin. And smoke. And I think they're also tweaking on meth in your tweaka. Yeah. Um, Mix it up. I have to be honest for a second. The Dopey Dane yeah. had sent in another voicemail about her stay in rehab where she like yeah. fell in love with this married grateful dead fan and then she oh. and then she closes the voicemail uh, in 28 days supposing well she she said that like nothing really happened but like she had a lot of fun and uh and she rekindled her love for the grateful dead and blah 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 and then she closed it by pondering on how hot fentanyl j might or might not be 
<laughs> oh, because she's never seen him. No. Well, there's pictures of him on Instagram, and I have to say, Fent- oh, yeah? Fentanyl J is as hot as anybody might think. And, oh, really? And he, and he will be at Dopey Conray. So oh, get good. excited for that. Just from his name, I did not imagine him being hot. Well, there you go. And, and what did you say about B. Gats? I was wrong. I, 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 I said, I wrote to you this morning. I'm like, I didn't know B. Gets was hot. Well, there you go. It seems like, it seems like you I've have, never seen him. Well, it seems like you think everybody's hot, Ray Brown. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Any other thoughts on the Dopey Dane? Um, just she made, she made all that stuff sound really fun. Um, she, even though it wasn't, but she I is, mean, the last time I did drugs of any kind, it was like so not fun and horrible. And I'm glad I have that memory of like, I don't have a fond memory of drugs. I have like a horrible memory of like drugs. Do you want to share that memory, Ray Brown? It was years ago. And I did what well, I did dope. I did, uh, crystal and it was just like horrible horrible all right not fun um what was i going to say you want to hear some interesting facts about the dopey dane yeah she calls herself the dopey dane because she has great danes oh i thought she was from denmark no she has great danes she's from she's from humboldt county or whatever she's got that crazy california sound she grows how many great danes does she have i've seen pictures of two right Oh my god. She's also like a painter. She paints like erotic oh. erotic paintings. Semi erotic paintings. She smoke paintings. weed? Yeah, she grows and smokes weed. Oh. And um and 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 I and I've heard and she has very long hair and I've heard that her bud is incredibly dank. That's the word oh. on the street. That her bud is very <laughs> very very good in in northern I California. This, I saw this guy that grows weed in California in like a really hostile environment. Like it's on like the wrong side of the mountain, yes. blah, blah, blah. But it makes it super hard. Makes it better. Yeah. Well, she is, she's a, apparently an expert. She's a, a total fucking grower, like hardcore grower. So shout out to the dopey Dane. Thank you for sending in two voicemails. We're rooting for you. And uh, Ray, maybe we can get you to your tweak before it's over. Maybe the next DopeyCon will be in your Tweeka. And uh, I, I hope that this DopeyCon was in Malibu. I was, I was very disappointed it's in New York. I wanted to go to Malibu. You know, Sam is moving to Waikiki. So maybe DopeyCon really? 2020. Sam is never going to make it to a DopeyCon. So maybe, that's even better. So maybe yeah. we should make DopeyCon 2023 in Waikiki because it rhymes. Wait, he's moving, he's moving to Waikiki? Yes, in a minute. What a weird place to move. In a minute. In Hawaii. He's moving there in a minute. Um, Isn't that like moving to Coney Island? I don't know anything about Hawaii. I don't know. It, it, no. why, why is Waikiki like Coney Island? I mean, if you're going to move to Hawaii, you'd move to like Maui or something, not Waikiki. Ray, do you remember when we went to Coney Island to meet Nems? Yeah, and then you accused me of being scared. You were scared. <laughs> no, I was not scared. I was just like bored. You were I like, I, 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 I got to get out of here. <laughs> oh, God. Fucking. I'm done with this whole bullshit. Do you know Nems is blowing up now? Really? Nems is gigantic. I invited Nems to DopeyCon. You know what he said he needed? What? $5,000. 
<laughs> I need $5,000. Well, me too. I need $5,000 too. Um, you need some sunglasses. I need, oh my fucking Jesus Christ, the sunglasses thing. Oh my <laughs> sweet Jesus. It's so upsetting. Uh, it's like, how do I get past Let's this? Buy some new ones. I have it. I bought two pairs when I bought them, knowing that this would happen. But what are you going to do? You need some five dollar sunglasses. No way. I love the I love the aesthetic quality of looking through the Ray Ban. Do you know that twelve year olds <laughs> use the word aesthetic as cool? They're like, yo, your that's da- that's your daughter uses that? yeah, that's so aesthetic. Yo, that shit, oh, really? that no, shit is just, that shit is so that. they don't say that shit is, but she says, Yo, that's so aesthetic. And then her friend oh. goes her friend goes, literal. <laughs> It's <laughs> a paradigm shift. That's what they did. One of them goes facts, and the other one goes literal. And then they go, "That's so Word. aesthetic." I was on the subway in the '80s, and I heard a guy go "word," and his friend went "letter," and I, me and my friends were like, "We heard that almost start, and it didn't happen." <laughs> letter. Letter. Yeah. I don't believe that. I think that that's a fake story. That's, I, I that's heard the that fake with story. My own ears. No, I heard that. All right. Now, it never took off. Now, before we go, I want to play the message from Ishmael. You ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Hello, Dopey Nation. This is Ishmael. I missed you so much. Um, I just want to tell you a, 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 a fast story. It was interesting. Uh, one of uh, Dobby fans came into my place at work and uh, he uh, told me, please don't, don't stop saying faggots. And um, it's not a ho- homophobic. And uh, it's just, it was so funny. It's just, I want to tell you Why do you, you think that. he said to stop saying faggot? I don't know. He laughs. He's, I think it's, it's funny the way I say it, you know? And he was so, a gay guy or a straight yeah, guy? Yeah, he was a gay guy. <laughs> yeah. I missed you all. I missed you all. Goodbye. So there we go. Ishmael is back on Dopey. And if you if you remember, when I used to wait tables at Katz's, Ishmael would, yeah. would order a matzo ball soup. And he would say, yeah. let, me get the, let me get the matzo ball soup, <laughs> faggot. And he'd, and he'd run into me in the store and he'd go, you are the greatest gay. And uh, it's the it's the pause that makes it work. I know. And then uh, and I was talking to um, to Chris about it years ago. And I said that if if I if I ever lived in another country and I had to get a job as a, a food service worker or waiter or something, I would have to learn how to say faggot so I could fit in with the <laughs> restaurant. And, uh, and 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 Chris thought that was very homophobic. And and there were and and there was a little bit of a blowback from from there's a guy in Canada called Carnif. He got yeah. upset about that. But the yeah. gays in the audience always liked it. And you oh, are yeah, the gays love it. So so break it down. Break it down. Why do gay people as a gay person, why do gay Medical. people <laughs> like it when Ishmael says faggot? Because gay people say that all gay people love that word and they say it all the time. And we think it's funny. And straight people are so uptight about it. So you like it when Ishmael says faggot? I think it's, it's especially the way he says it. But um, I always think it's funny that the gays re- <clears throat> reclaim the word queer, which is a word nobody ever said. I've never heard anybody say that in any kind of derogatory way. And they 
re- they reclaimed the wrong word. So they, I was they, like, it would be so funny if colleges had fag studies departments, and uh, but they don't. But I hereby, as a gay man, give all straight people permission to say fag. Wow. And faggot. What a, what a great day this is for straight. I proclaim. <laughs> this is faggot day? Can you imagine if, if June was fag pride month? <laughs> Well, that would be very powerful. I think in like the 50s or something, people would be like, you're a fucking queer. So like that's when they started reclaiming it. No, they started reclaiming it in the 80s when nobody said that. I'd never heard that word until I heard it reclaimed. Imagine if it was LGBTF. (laughs) LGBTQI plus A. F. Plus F, <laughs> plus faggots. Yeah. Um, I like how Lady Bunny, who's like one of the pyramid queens, she's like the funniest of the pyramid queens. She, in her stand-up, she's like, how did we get, because it's LGBTQIA+, and A is for asexual, and she's like, how did we get them? Like, they're asexual, but what's they're I? a sexual minority. What's I? In, intersex? What's that? She was questioning intersex is like a medical condition where you're born it's like very rare but you're born with like both chromosomes so you're like usually you're you would never know the person looks like a male or a female but they have some uh some characteristics of the other sex okay so you laid it down ray brown as always and uh you're excited yep. for dopey 10 out of 10 uh, Butchie was very excited that you were excited about his walking tour. Are you going to be on the walking tour? Yeah, let me know where where it is. I think it starts at the. Where da- does it start? At, I think it starts at the Dakota. Oh, it might be too much. I think wa- it's it might be too much walking for you, Ray Brown. Yeah, I just imagine <laughs> Yoko. Well, well, Yoko has Alzheimer's, so she doesn't know anything. But for years, she looked out her door, her window, and there's crowds of people, and they're like, "And this is where John Lennon was shot." Like every day at her apartment, there's a busload of tourists looking at where her husband was shot. Well, why Mr. do you? Weird. Well, what, why do you suppose she didn't leave? Because she uh, because she owns so many apartments, she's she keeps buying up apartments where she was buying up apartments. She no, they had the they had a, they had an apartment in there that just had his guitars and the Wurlitzer yeah. jukebox. But still, like, yeah. why not? Buy, why not keep the apartments? Because she was a very very like talented business lady. Why not keep the apartments and buy a brownstone and not have to deal with all right. that shit? I think it's because well, of Julian, the memory. The mem no the I memory mean, the memory of John. That's why uh, I think. A friend of mine painted in the Dakota, and she said that when you're going up, there's like you pass a room that has a glass wall from the elevator, and you see into the John Lennon Museum. You see the white piano from the elevator. We should go. I told you I used to always try to get in there. I think it's not easy to get in there. Even as a a high school kid, I couldn't get in over there. But uh, there's a guy with a gun out front. Maybe one day we'll be able to go over there. But uh, you got to become friends with Sean. Yeah, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But uh, thank you, Ray. Um, I'm excited for DopeyCon. I'm excited to have you back on the show. I'm excited for your permission to say the word faggot. But I'm way too uh, woke to use a word like that. I just wanted to. You just used it. No, I'm just describing the Ishmael story. I'm not using the word. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just reporting the news that Ishmael is still saying it and that dopey fans show up at Katz's all the time to meet Ishmael. 
Taxes could be canceled because of Ishmael. Well, I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be okay. <laughs> and I know that Jose is going to be cutting pastrami at DopeyCon. I know that Ray is going to be singing a couple tunes. And uh, we're very excited. I'm very excited, too. It's going to be amazing. Oh, one more thing, Ray. Do what? you do you want to be on the Patreon episode where we pick the winner of the Dopey theme, the DopeyCon theme song challenge of who gets yes. the 500 yes. bucks? You do? Yes, I want to be on that. Yes. All right. Well, listen, before we go, we have a, a contest, the DopeyCon theme song challenge. I've already gotten like five entries. We're going to be playing yeah. them all on Patreon. We're going to be voting between Ray, our anonymous, um, whatever you want to call him, our anonymous Santa. donor, right? And then maybe a couple, yeah. maybe my dad will be in on it. And, uh, and Ray just ran into my dad. And we're going to pick the winner. So this is what I'm telling you. You still have a chance to win $500 toward your trip to DopeyCon. And hey, when, is this, when is this Patreon contest? It's now. You know, basically today is Friday the 16th. This, this, What's the cutoff? The cutoff date is Tuesday, I guess. I guess Tuesday. Today's Tuesday, isn't it? No, today's Thursday, you fuck. No. Um, no. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Let me look. Maybe we'll cut it off. We'll cut it off. Uh, nah. We're going to cut it off in, in by the 19th. So if you hear this this weekend and you want to enter a song, we need it by September 19th so that you'll have time to organize your trip for DopeyCon. Okay, Is fuck it. Is it 500 fuck cash? It. We're going to give you, I'm going to change that. No, it's not cash. We're going to give it to the 23rd. The money has to be used towards travel to DopeyCon. Plus, I will throw in a free ticket and maybe two if you need two tickets. So enter your song. You have one more week to do your DopeyCon song. It should be a minute. That's the only stipulation. If you can't play an instrument, it should be karaoke. Um, I think everybody listening should send in a song. So right. we get like thousands of songs. We need them in the next seven days. So uh, thank you, Ray right. Brown. Uh, and I know that uh, you've written a few songs, but those songs have not arrived yet. No. This morning I asked Ray about it and he acted like he hasn't. He told me on the phone that he's been writing songs. And then I asked him and he said, I haven't been writing any songs. Classic, <laughs> a classic Ray Brown move. To my hole. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, Ray. Uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood I want to be good so bad so bad but bad desires all I've ever I wanna be good so bad, so bad. Bad desires, all I've ever had. 
take a ride up in the sky Watch those airplanes just pass me by I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of those people what it means to be alive I wanna be good, so bad, so bad Bad desire's all I've ever had I wanna be good, so bad, so bad, yeah, yeah Bad desire's all I've ever had Shadows getting smaller and smaller And it's high noon where I stand My shadows getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller And it's high noon where I stand busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds cause peace and love are very 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 hard to find and I want to be good so bad so Bad, bad desires all I've ever had I want to be good So bad, so bad, yeah Bad desires all I've ever had It's 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 all I've ever had all I've ever had, these suckers make me mad. I wanna call my dad, yes, yeah, all I've ever had. I wanna call my dad, these suckers make me mad. It's all I've ever had. It's all I've ever had. It's all I've ever had.